Good morning, and as you're taking your seat, go ahead and take your Bible out or one of the Bibles there on the seat backs in front of you and turn to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, it's on page 833 in those Bibles that are on the backs of the seats. As you're turning a little bit of background about this book, it was written by the Apostle John, uh, not John the Baptist, John the son of Zebedee. Uh, in this gospel, it covers three years of Jesus's earthly ministry. And really, really is what it does is it kind of supplements the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John fills in a lot of the blanks and dives deeper into some, some truths that the others don't about the identity of Jesus and some of his teaching and conversations between himself and others about the gospel. Why? Why was it, why was it written? Well, John actually tells us towards the end of the book. In John 20, verses 30 and 31, he says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. A belief and life, two of the main Themes of John. Believe is used almost a hundred times throughout the Gospel of John, and the word life is used in different forms about 40 times. Themes we're going to see almost every single week as we move forward. So, who was this book written to? Who was the target audience for this? Um, I think everyone. First, it was written to those who don't yet believe in Christ. It's written to those of you who might be asking, who is Jesus and why did he come and why does it matter? It's written to you in hopes that you would read it and believe it and receive Christ's gift of eternal life. And if that's you and you're here today and you're asking some of those questions and seeking answers, we're so glad that you're here. And our hope is that in the months ahead, as we go through this and you go through this with us, that you would see and come to believe in who Jesus is and receive the eternal life that he offers. Uh, but this book is also written to those of us who have already believed, the church. Why is it written to the church? A few reasons. First, because life in Christ is so much more than that initial moment of belief in him. Do you realize belief isn't merely just this one-time reality in our lives? It's our whole life. And John wants them to know God increasingly so that they will continue to believe, so that they'll continue to trust Christ even in the difficulties that they will face in this life. It's also written to those that believe because he wants us to experience what John calls in John 10, 10, abundant life. You realize eternal life is not just a future reality. It's not just life after death with God for all of eternity, although it is that. The life of eternity, it begins now. When we place our trust in Jesus, 
we get to enjoy so many of the, the benefits and the blessings of our salvation right now in relationship with him. In John chapter 15, we'll see, we get to enjoy that. It says connected to Jesus. Uh, the last reason why I believe it's written to the church also is this. John wants us not just to read this, not just to study this, not just to believe this. He wants us to share this with others. Reading, studying, and believing this gospel ought to compel us to want to share it with others or we have missed something significant about this gospel. Do you realize for all of eternity, for all of eternity, that life after death with the Lord forever, we're gonna continue to learn more about our Lord and to worship him. But there's something that we, we won't do in eternity. We will not share the gospel with those that don't believe. The time for that will be past. The time for that is right now. We are meant as a church to be both a, a growing and a going people. We're meant to be growing in our Christ-likeness, growing in our knowledge of who our God is, and then taking that and putting feet to those truths as we go out and we tell everyone who will listen about our Savior. So, challenge. Challenge for this, for this sermon series. Those of you who have been here for a little bit know I like to give a challenge. We've been doing some memorization in the books that we've been going through. I'm not gonna be challenging you specifically to that for this sermon series, but if you wanna memorize, go for it. Some of you have already come and you've told me, hey, we're memorizing or have asked, what are some good places to memorize? Well, John 1 would be a great place. John 3, 10, 17, 21. Just pick some place and start memorizing. All right, but I'm not gonna challenge you specifically to that. Um, please keep doing that though. First challenge is this, be present, be present. Will you commit to be here on Sunday mornings, if at all possible, with God's people sitting under the teaching of God's word? And it looks like a lot of you said yes to that today. Second challenge, dig in. Dig in. I'm hoping this about eight month sermon series is gonna further equip us as a church to know the gospel, to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be sent with the gospel. So on Sunday mornings, we're gonna dig into it. Our small groups are gonna be jumping into this and not just the sermons. Our small groups are gonna be jumping into each of these passages of scripture each week together and mining them for truth. But to be really equipped through this over the next months, you have to personally determine that you're gonna actively engage in this. Growing is not just this passive activity. We are meant to take 
ownership of our spiritual growth process. And so would you now say, even as an individual, I am determined by God's help to dive in and to be further equipped over the next eight months. Uh, for those of you who love reading, here's a couple resources. If you wanna take a picture of that, if you really like reading and digging deeper, these are two trusted resources about some things, some topics, some themes that we're gonna see in the gospel of, of John. Uh, last challenge, and this is really the one that I'm gonna remind you of probably week after week. Would you pray? Would you pray first for someone in your sphere of influence, someone in your family, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker who doesn't yet know Jesus as savior? In fact, just take a minute right now, right where you're at and think of who that person is and pray for them. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel with them. Pray for opportunities to live out Jesus in front of them. Pray that God would reach down and call them to himself and save them over these next months. Second person that I'd like us to pray for together, pray for someone who is not yet in your life that you would ask God to bring into your life over the next eight months so that you could point them to him. Pray for a, div a divine meeting with someone else, whether it's in a coffee shop, whether it's in your school classroom, whether it's a family member you haven't seen in so long that you're surprised came back into your life. Pray that God would arrange it and that he would give you the boldness to step out and to point them to you. In fact, Father, would you do just that in our lives? Lord, over these next months, I just even ask, even between now and Christmas, would each person in here have someone that walks into their life that you give them eyes to see and you give them the opportunity to share the good news about you with them and that we would see fruit from that like we've never seen before as a church, Lord. Do a miraculous work in and through us in the months ahead in your name, amen, amen. All right, John chapter one. We're gonna be looking at the first five verses today. It says this, in the beginning, was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, this opening here, actually these five verses and then all the way through verse 18, which is where we'll be next week. This is really the introduction to this book. And it contains all the major themes that we're gonna see unpacked as we go. So, so John is gonna 
introduce us to some of the foundational truths. And then he's gonna take the rest of the book to show them to us and to teach them to us. And this first paragraph, if you look there, it starts with a name. This first paragraph is all about the word. In Greek, it's logos, the word. Look at verses one and two. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word was in the beginning with God. Okay, spoiler alert. Next week in verses 14 through 18, we're gonna see Jesus is the word, right? But we're starting with that information right now because John is like right here. Before we go any further, he's saying there are some things you need to know about Jesus's identity, who he is, the word. Genesis 1, 3 says this, God said, let there be light. And there was light. When God speaks, stuff happens. And throughout the Old Testament, leading up to the writing of this gospel, God's word is used to refer to his communication with his people. God's word represents his voice and his self-disclosure. And here, John is personifying God's voice, his self-disclosure as Jesus. So what he's saying is the word is the ultimate and the final revelation of who God is. Uh, Hebrews chapter one says this, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, the Word, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, the Word, the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the Word of his and after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So John here is saying, do you wanna know who God is? Here's what you do. Look at the word. The word communicates God to us. All right, so he starts with a name, the word. Now he's gonna tell us some things about the word. Look down at verse one. It says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning. John is gonna, he's gonna take us back here. Uh, recently, Amy and I decided we needed some new clothes. Mostly Amy decided that we needed some new clothes. And so we went to one of our, our favorite stores and we found some stuff. And then we went back to the dressing room. We were both in different dressing rooms and we both at the same time came out because we needed to show our outfit to the other person just to make sure it was suitable to be wearing. And as we came out and we're standing there, Amy just burst out laughing. I'm like, what, is it, is it look that bad? 
I mean, how much weight have I put on? (laughs) And she's like, no, I feel like we just got in a time machine and went back to the 90s. And these outfits are actually probably what we were wearing on our first date. (laughs) Which, by the way, this generation, you didn't come up with this stuff. We made it cool in the 80s and the 90s. And it probably should have stayed there, yes. But we, but we made it cool. But then the problem was, is then we have to stand there and have a debate and go, okay, we both agree, we made this look good. But does that mean that we're not allowed to wear this anymore? <laughs> or does that mean that we can still keep rocking it? Amy aired the other way. I aimed with, you know, I can wear all denim forever and it's awesome. But, but in this moment, it was just like, wow. It was literally like, that just took us back. That's what John's gonna do. He's like, we're going back to where John? In the beginning. That shouldn't sound familiar to you. Genesis chapter one, verse one, at the beginning of your Bible says, in the beginning, God. The other gospels start at different places. Matthew starts with a, a genealogy and the birth narrative. Mark starts at the, right at the beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry. Luke starts also with a genealogy and Christ's birth. John's like, nope, I wanna go back further. We're going back to the beginning. In the beginning. Even before the creation of everything, the word was. There was never a time when the word wasn't. The word has always existed. The word is eternal. He has been from eternity past. He is right now and he will always be. And John's like, there's something you need to know about Jesus. The word, the ultimate revelation of God is in the beginning, has always been. Look down at verse one, let's keep going. So the word is in the beginning. What's next? He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The eternal word was with The word with here indicates that the word is somehow distinct from God and yet in close relationship with God. Since when? Since forever, since eternity past, since in the beginning. And he doesn't stop there. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God. The word was God, whoa. The eternal word is God. Hear me. The word is not a God. The word is not some God. The word is not one of many gods. The word is God. Since when? Since in the beginning, since forever. The eternal word, Christ, is is distinct from God, is in close relationship with God, and yet is fully 
God. What? <laughs> what's happening here? Here's what's happening. John is introducing us to what we call the doctrine of the Trinity, which we're actually gonna see unpacked throughout the rest of the gospel. You might be like, Nate, what's the Trinity? Hold on, you ready? We're gonna jump in on, into the deep end on a few things here, all right? So if you've got life vest, floaties, whichever you prefer, put them on, we're gonna jump in. Here's the good thing to remember as we go into this. You don't have to remember all of this. And you know what? You don't even have to grasp it all right now. This is an introduction. John's gonna tell us more. So Trinity, Trinity. Trinity is the word that we use. It's not in the Bible, so you don't need to go look for it. It's a word that we use to summarize and express that we believe in one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, okay? Trinity is the word, here it is again, that we use to summarize that we believe in one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. How do we understand that, Nate? How do we explain that? Do you have an illustration for us? No, I don't. I don't have an illustration for you because the temptation for us can be sometimes to try and oversimplify something that's actually not meant to be simplified. To oversimplify something that's profound. So the Trinity is not like an egg, okay? Trinity is not the family unit. The Trinity is not a three-leaf clover. The Trinity is not like water that's fluid sometimes and solid sometimes and steam other times, okay? Like, oh, then how do we explain who the Trinity is with the Bible. That's how. Because see, the temptation could be to try and simplify an explanation is what we end up doing is we end up saying things about God that actually aren't even true. And so we wanna be careful. So here's what we're gonna do. One helpful way to explain the Trinity is by using affirmations and denials. All right, is so what that is, is the Trinity is this, by scripture, we know here's the Trinity. It isn't, he is not this, okay? So we're gonna practice that a little bit here. So you ready? Here we go, okay? Here's what the Trinity is. Number one, there is one God. Amen. There's one God. There is one living and true God. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. Hear, O Israel, Shema Yisrael. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one, there is one God, two. Second affirmation, God is three persons. God is three persons. Wait, but no, don't go there. Don't ask the questions yet. I'm just doing just affirmations. There's one God. God is three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are those three persons. You've been introduced to two already. God the Father and the Son, the Word. You're gonna be introduced to the Holy Spirit before we even get to the end of chapter one here in a couple of weeks. Three distinct persons. That's why if you look down at this passage, it says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. 
How are these persons distinct, Nate? Well, they're distinct, first of all, relationally, in the way that the Godhead relates to one another, in the way that the Godhead relates to the, to the world. Father, Son, and Spirit are also distinct functionally. What do we mean by that? Well, the Trinity is one in nature and purpose. And so all that the Trinity does, all the Trinity does, but not in exactly the same way. You're like, what <laughs> Just wait, we'll see it as we go across John. So what's that mean? Three persons, that means there are not three different modes of God. They are not three different hats that he wears at different times. They're not three different ways of seeing him. These are not three parts or aspects of God. These are not three different gods. Okay, so here's what it is. The father is not the son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father or the Son, but the Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. And God is not some fourth entity. Father, Son, and Spirit are God. Third affirmation. Each person is fully God. Each person is fully God. Father, Son, and Spirit. They're all equal in essence, in being, in purpose, in deity and honor, all deserving of the full worship of God. That's why in these first verses, it says, the word was with God, distinct from, in relationship with, but the word was God, fully God. Okay, so, so we believe in one living and true God who exists in perfect unity as three distinct yet equal and fully divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So you're like, okay, why is this important, Nate? Because this is our God. That's why. We worship God not for who we think he is. We worship God not for who we want him to be. We worship God for who he is actually and who he has revealed himself to be. We worship the one true triune God of the universe. The Christian faith, it is Trinitarian, okay? And Trinitarian just means we believe in the Trinity. If it's not Trinitarian, it's not Christian and it's not biblical. Like, okay, Nate, my brain hurts. Good. <laughs> you are thinking about the God of the universe. Wouldn't it make sense that he is magnificently and mysteriously intricate. And not to discourage you, but we'll never reach a complete understanding of the beauty and mystery of our triune God. But you know what we get to do? We get the joy of spending this life and all of eternity plumbing the depths of who he is. And just because it's hard 
doesn't mean we stop trying. You see, God has revealed himself to us. He's not hiding from us. And he, he intends for us to, to pursue him passionately. And here's what we're gonna see ahead in John. He promises that he will teach us of himself. And the way that he teaches us is through his spirit, one of the distinct functions of the spirit. All right, last two things. Let's get to about the word. Next is this, the word created everything. The word created everything. Look at verse three. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. The word created all of it. God the Father created through God the Son, the agent of creation. He is the origin of all things. Which by the way, that further demonstrates that the word is eternal and uncreated. How so? Well, he says, nothing came into existence that he didn't create. Therefore, he isn't created. He was. Last thing about the word is this. The word is life and light. The word is life and light. Look at verse four and five. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He gives life to everything. He was the one that brought physical life in creation. And now that creation testifies to his glory. It's a light to the world of his proclamation that says, I exist, I'm here, and I'm to be glorified. But not only is he the giver of physical life, we're gonna see in the months ahead, he's also the giver of spiritual life. He comes offering us eternal life by faith in him. Jesus, the word, is life and light and the light of his goodness and his grace will shine and they will shine through his person and his work and darkness and evil can do nothing about it. So how are we supposed to look at this first paragraph? I think we're meant to see John saying, something you need to know right from the start about who Jesus is. Why do I need to know that, John? You need to know it because I want you to remember this for the next 21 chapters, that's why. As Jesus teaches, as he heals, as he confronts our sin, as he sends us, as he prays, as he loves, as he weeps. If at any point in the next eight months studying these 21 chapters, you're tempted to think that this is just some run-of-the-mill, sandal-wearing rabbi, you'll remember back to this paragraph that this isn't just some rabbi. This is the rabbi. And beyond even the study of this book, 
I think John intends for us to remember something right now in our, in our lives, in our loneliness, in our grieving, in our doubts, in our accusations, in our difficulties, in our, in our sorrows. When we face what seems impossible to us, when we face the unknown, when we face death and disease, when we face sin that seems unconquerable and addiction, we are supposed to remember this isn't just some teacher from the first century that we follow. This isn't just some teacher from the first century that loves us. This isn't just some teacher that forgives us and helps us. This isn't just some teacher who lived the perfect life, died on the cross in our place and rose from the dead and offers us eternal life by grace through faith. Not just some teacher, this is Jesus. Pre-existent, eternal, revealer of God, creator, the triune giver of physical and spiritual life. You serve the word. And we are meant to cling to that truth in our lives. What are you in the midst of right now in your life? That you need to speak this paragraph back into. What hardship are you facing? What questions seem unanswered? Remind yourself who you serve. Remind yourself who he is. How do we respond to reflecting on a paragraph like that, Nate? I think we respond like this. I think we respond in worship. I think we respond by continuing to reflect on the beauty of these truths. I think we respond in awe of who our God is. Father, thank you for sending your son, second person of the Trinity, to live the life we we are incapable of living to pay the penalty for our sin and to rise from the dead in victory over sin and death. Father, thank you for the spirit who softens our hearts, who opens our eyes to see the truth of you, to see that our sin is an affront to you and to see, understand, and believe that you are the only way to salvation. Lord, thank you for the spirit who even helps us to understand who you are in all of your depth and all of your beauty and all of your majesty. You are incredible, Father, Son, and Spirit.